Amen. How many of you are at least a little bit excited about heaven? Amen. You know, when we talk about heaven, we tend to think of some ethereal place where you float around on a cloud playing a harp. And for me, that sounds so boring. But what would you think if I told you that heaven is a city? Heaven is a city. Now, those of you who love the country, hate to break it to you, you're going to be living in a city. Um, but let me just read out of Hebrews 11:16, and in closing out this series on heaven, I want to talk to you about the heavenly city that is coming, because there is a heavenly city coming. And so let's read Hebrews 11:16. But now they, now the they is the Old Testament saints who died in faith, they desire a better country, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Now, read the last part with me. For he has prepared what? A city. Isn't that interesting? God has prepared. Now, catch that because I think we read these verses and it scoots right past us. But I want you to catch what it said. God has prepared not an ethereal, spiritual heaven per se, but a city, a real city. For you, for the redeemed. So let's pray today. Father, we thank you today for the revelation of the word of God. Without it, we wouldn't know these things. But thank you, Lord, you have shown us these things so that we can turn our eyes upward and be more heavenly minded. And Lord, we thank you for the new world that is coming. And I pray that you will open our understanding to that today. Help us to understand it and grasp it the width, the breadth, the height, the depth of what God has prepared for us better than we ever have before. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Now, dear church, please breathe a prayer and say, Lord, open my mind today. Renew my mind today with the good word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them a heavenly city is coming. A heavenly city is coming. Well, if you were to read ahead of verse 16, because Hebrews 11 is called the Hall of Faith um, because it lists names of people who died in faith. They died in faith, not having received yet the promise God made them. Now, I used to read that. These all died in faith, not having received the promise. And I used to wonder what the promise was that they didn't receive. When they died in faith, the promise was this city, this city. They died in faith, believing that one day they were going to live in a city whose builder and maker is God. So if you read ahead of verse 16, you're going to read a list of names. Some of them, Abel, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, and then if you read after verse 16, he lists a whole lot more of these names of Old Testament saints who died in faith, not having received the promise yet. They had to wait for Jesus Christ to come, live his perfect life, die on the cross, rise from the dead, and then and only then was the promise they were waiting for made available, but they still haven't gotten it yet because the city is yet to be lowered down onto a renewed earth 
And that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. Now, we're told that these Old Testament saints rejected this world in favor of the city that was coming. They said, this world is not my own. I'm waiting for the city whose builder and maker is God. Listen to what it says about Abraham. He waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Did you catch that? There is a city that God has built and God has made and God has prepared for those who love him for the redeemed. No wonder it says, I has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But watch this. But he has revealed them to us by his spirit. So even though in our natural imagination or ability to conceptualize things, we would never ever have conceptualized or come to understand what is coming. God revealed them to us by his spirit through the word of God. So we do know what our senses would never tell us, that there is a city coming. Abraham was waiting for it, and all of these other saints were waiting for it. This is, folks, why they lived in tents, and they never built a house. You read about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they were nomadic. They lived in tents. Why did they live in tents? They lived in tents because they were making a statement to this world. I know that I'm only passing through. I'm not going to build a temporary or a permanent house because I'm only here for a little while. What I'm really waiting to live in forever is the city that is coming. So I am not going to build a house. I'm going to live in tents because that city is coming and I'm looking forward to that day when I live in that city. Now you notice that when Lot began to backslide and Lot began to gravitate towards Sodom, it says that Lot moved into Sodom and built a house. And that shows he had lost the testimony of the patriarchs living in tents by faith, telling the world, this is not my permanent home. I've got a permanent home that is coming whose builder and maker is God, so I'm going to stay in tents. Lot lost sight of that and built a house and really lost everything because he moved to Sodom. The notion, the idea is this. We walk by faith and not by sight. And every child of God needs to know this world is only a hotel we're checked into for a little while. And one day, we're going to go to a permanent dwelling. And it's the city of God Abraham was looking for. He waited for the city, not a city, not any old city, the city whose builder and maker is God. Now, remember I told you last time that um, when our bodies are resurrected, they're going to be real flesh and blood, flesh and bone bodies. They're going to be like Jesus' resurrected body. Jesus rose from the dead. He walked through closed doors, but then he also ate a fish meal. He had a resurrected body, but he said, touch my body. He told Thomas, put your finger through the hole in my hand that the nails caused. And put your hand in my side, Thomas, and don't be unbelieving, but believe. And so Jesus was saying, a resurrected body is touchable, holdable, embraceable, real, tangible. That's what our resurrected bodies will be like. But we're also not only going to have real, tangible bodies, we're going to be in a real, tangible city. Hallelujah. 
Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Not an idea, not a metaphor. Like I said, not some ethereal place where you're floating around on a cloud playing a harp. But I go to prepare a place, a real stand on it, walk around in it, touch it, experience, live in it, place. And it's the city whose builder and maker is God. Jesus was a carpenter when he was here on earth, and he went to heaven and kept on carpentering because he built a place. We're going to have a place. We're going to live in a place. Now, I'm going to talk right to you today, church. I want you to understand, I'm about to describe what is going to be your permanent destination, the city that God has built, the heavenly city. It's also called in the Bible the New Jerusalem. And Hebrews gives us a breathtaking snapshot of this future glorious home of the redeemed. Listen to how Hebrews describes it. You, that is the saved. Now he's talking right to you. Turn to your neighbor and say, that means you. I want to be sure we're awake today. Turn to your neighbor and say, that means you. Because when he says you, he's talking right to you. You, the redeemed, the blood-bought children of God. He says, let me tell you what has happened to you since you've been saved. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now look how he describes the population there. Look who populates it. To countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. Those whose names are in the book of life. You, the saved the blood-bought, you. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. Now notice how he says, as far as God's concerned, you're already there. You have come. It's not like you're coming or you're going to be there one day, but as far as God's concerned, it's done. You have come there. That's why it says you are seated in heavenly places Right now with Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah, you're in a chair in Turning Point Church, but when God looks at you, he sees a done deal. It's already done. You've already been signed, sealed, and delivered. As far as God's concerned, you're already in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and you have already come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God. Amen. What a beautiful place it's going to be, populated by thousands, hundreds of thousands, innumerable angels, who the Bible makes a point here of saying they are joyful. Wouldn't it be incredible to be around joyful angels? Not all grim, not sour-faced, but joyful. Joyful angels. And the born-again children of God are all going to be there. We're going to be there together. God himself is going to be there. And the spirits of the righteous saints, that's talking about the Old Testament saints that died in faith, not having yet received the promise, are going to be there. It's a place of incredible joy, bliss, happiness, power, freedom. And you know what? It's literally illuminated by the glory and power of God. Let me tell you what Revelation says about it. The book of Revelation talks about this city as well, not just Hebrews, but Revelation. It says the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. 
We're not going to need this shining sun, though I love the sun. I appreciate being out in the sun. But I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to need the sun because the Bible tells me that God himself, the glory illuminating from the very countenance and face of Almighty God is going to light up that place. And the Son of God, Jesus, is going to be the lamp. Now, if that doesn't bless you, you're not blessable. I'm talking to you about where you're going to be one day. I'm not saying... Maybe, if, perhaps, or hope so, I'm saying this is telling us there is a city coming and every redeemed child of God is going to live in the city whose builder and maker is God. God has made a city and we're all going there. Amen. Now the last chapter of Hebrews mentioned this city one more time. He says, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Notice he says on earth there's no enduring cities. Can I tell you something? We're about to see from the word of God that there's not a city on this earth that's going to endure forever. Not one. New York, Dallas, Fort Worth, Tokyo, China, L.A., all the great cities of the world, Shanghai, China, all these incredible cities are all going to go away one day. We're going to read about it. But there is one enduring city that will never go away, one city that will never pass away, one city that will never rot, never erode, never corrode, never perish, never disappear. And it's the city of the living God, and you are going there. It's a celestial city. And you know what? It's so real that John in the book of Revelation gives us the dimensions of that city. Tells us exactly how big it's going to be. Can you believe that? Now you can't get any more real than that. So if you're going to give me the dimensions, you're not talking about an idea. You're talking about a real place. John gives us the dimensions. Here's what he said. He, he was taken up into heaven. He saw an angel and something was in the angel's hand. He says the angel held in his hand a golden measuring stick to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And when he measured it, he found it was a square. It was a square as wide as it was long. In fact, it was in the form of a cube. For its height was exactly the same as its other dimensions, 1,500 miles each way. So you got 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, and 1,500 miles high. A perfect cube. You know what that comes to? About 2 million square miles. Everybody say, plenty of room for me and mine. One pastor discussed all of this with an Australian engineer that he knew. And this Australian engineer didn't know what the Bible had said. He gave him these dimensions, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles high. He gave him these dimensions, and the Australian engineer ran the numbers. And here's what he wrote. He was shocked, and he wrote this. This heavenly city is 15,000 times the size of London. I'm going to read that again. Now, you may have never been in London, but it's big. And here he says, this city is 15,000 times the size of London, 40 times bigger than England, and 10 times bigger than Germany. Just the city. And the city 
is sitting somewhere in heaven right now. It's there. So we're just talking about the city, not all of heaven, just the city. The city that you're going to walk in and live in and say hi to one another in and enjoy God in and worship the Lamb in. That city. Then he said, it's really an enormous continent in and of itself. It's a continent, just the city. And then he calculated, when compared to the number of people populating London per square mile, this enormous city could comfortably hold 70 times the present population of the entire world. I'm just going to let that sink in. We're not talking about a little bitty city somewhere that a few people are going to find their way into. Oh, no. We're talking about a place that can hold 70 times the current population of earth. Millions and millions and millions more redeemed throughout all the ages since Jesus rose from the dead are going to populate that city. And it's right now, as I said, sitting in heavenly places. This city is sitting in heavenly places awaiting the end of history as we know it. And then God is going to lower it onto a renovated earth. Now, before that happens, I want to look at some events that are coming upon our world. And I'm going to shoot real straight with you. What I'm going to share with you is the prophecy of the Bible. This is not what Jeff thinks or what other people have written about. I'm telling you what the Bible predicts is coming upon this world before the heavenly city is lowered because I want you to get an understanding and a grasp of what God has done for you and also that this world is temporary. Everything on it is temporary. It's passing away. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, all that comprises the world, of the, the world is passing away. And the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. What we're about to see is the old is going to pass away to make way for the new. Amen? The first thing we're going to see is the earth, as we know it, is going to be dissolved. Evolutionists tell us that life is evolving into a better place. That man is advancing and improving. That's what I was taught way back in school that life is evolving into a better place because of evolution, that we're advancing and we're improving all the time. But you know, the Bible says that's not true at all. That is not true at all. Can I tell you what the Bible says about the world and about humanity and not what some evolutionists told you? The Bible teaches that this present world is racing toward a great crisis and it's going to end in judgment. That's what the Bible teaches. And before that day of final judgment, hard times are in store for this world. Now, if you read the Apostle Peter, chapter, or 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter goes into a little teaching, and he, he begins with Noah. And he says, I want you to remember Noah, and I want you to remember how, in the days of Noah, the word of God came to Noah. And here's Noah minding his own. He has no idea what God is about to do. And I don't know how God spoke to Noah. If it was a still, small voice, if he heard an audible voice, I don't know how God spoke to him. But all of a sudden, God spoke to Noah. And God told Noah, he said, Noah, this world's going to end. I'm going to judge it. I'm going to send a great flood across the entire planet. And everything 
living is going to die. He said, no, I want you to build a boat. I want you to start building an ark, and I'm going to give you the dimensions. And the Bible says, Noah believed God. And he began to build, but he also began to preach. Because the Bible says he was a preacher of righteousness. So with one hand he built, with the other hand he preached. He preached and built and built and preached. And he preached for over a hundred years to his generation. It took him over a century to build that ark. He did it alone. And after a century of preaching, not one convert, not one person believed the word of God through Noah. He did not let that rattle him, shake him, or move him. He kept on preaching. He said, mine is to preach, theirs is to respond. If they don't respond, I'm still going to preach. The Bible says at the end of that time period, the word of the Lord came to Noah again and said, get in the ark. I'm about to end it all. Get in now. And he went into the ark, and the Bible says God closed the door. God closed the door so it wouldn't weigh on Noah's conscience that he had closed the door. Because once that door was closed, it was closed. Now, Peter says, remember how the word of God came to Noah. And then Peter says, that same word of God is keeping the skies and the earth that we have now. They are being kept to be destroyed by fire. Now, you do remember that when Noah landed again and the flood was over, God said to Noah, I'm never going to destroy the world again by a flood. But he didn't say by fire. He just said never again by a flood. And so here Peter is telling us God is the same word that was operating in the days of Noah and held back judgment until judgment time came. And then that same word that brought judgment, that that same word is keeping our skies and our earth that we have now, they are being kept to be destroyed by fire. Now that word kept literally means being held together. Our universe, folks, is being held together by the word of God. Now, I know this is heavy stuff on a Sunday morning, but I'm here to give you something heavy, and then I'm going to give you something to rejoice about. But i got to tell you the truth. This is what the Bible says, that our world is being kept, held together, glued together, held literally by the Word of God. It says about Jesus Christ, He, Jesus, was before all else began, and it is His power that holds everything together. Our world is not being held together by thermodynamics, by something scientific, but every atom, every molecule is being held together by the word of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's powerful. Being held together by his word. And he says, they are kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of all people who are against God. Can I read that again? They are being kept. The word of God is keeping everything together for the day of judgment and the destruction of all people who are against God. That's telling us there's a judgment coming. Peter says the day is coming when the earth is going to be destroyed by a fiery judgment. Now, I know this is hard to hear. It's not what you wanted to hear on a Sunday morning, but it's going to get better, so hang on. It's hard to hear, but this is what the Bible teaches. See, I don't want to tickle your ears. I don't want to sit here and preach on God's going to make you rich and you ought to be wealthy and go enjoy your best life now. 
I'm here to tell you that our world is on a collision course with the judgment of God. And thank God that the blood has covered us and we are not going to receive the wrath of God. Peter continues, the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. That word elements is so powerful. It's the basic building blocks of matter. It's the atomic molecular structures. And Peter says they will melt. Everything God, man has made, all the buildings, all of the, everything man has produced is going to melt. It's going to be burned up when God finally judges earth for its sin and he's going to judge earth for its sin. The building blocks of matter. It's almost like he's describing a nuclear blast, but it's not from God, it's from, or it's not from man, it's from God. So again, the Bible is crystal clear. And let me be clear with you, dear church. Thank God we're looking for a city that is coming because this world is not our home because it's passing away. We are not on an ever-improving evolutionary trajectory. Our planet's headed for an ultimate judgment. But now even before this judgment by fire, something else is going to happen, and this has to do with all the cities. Listen to this. A great earthquake is going to rock the world during what the Bible calls the Great Tribulation. John writes in the amazing book of Revelation, he says, A great earthquake. I saw a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. This quake is going to shatter the Richter scale. It's going to cause the Richter scale to blow apart, this quake. Because look at what John says next. The cities of the nations fell. Dallas fell. Fort Worth fell. L.A. fell. Chicago fell. New York fell. Tokyo fell. Shanghai fell. All the cities of the earth are brought down during this great tribulation period by this quake. It's as if the pride of man, illustrated by these towering architectural wonders, will be brought into the dust. You know, let me tell you something. Man's arrogance, his embracing of perversion and of evil, his rejection of God and his son, are going to collide with the judgment of God. This, this week, I, I, was, I, I wish I hadn't seen it, I wish I hadn't heard it, but I was reading the news I need to quit reading so much news. Because I was reading the news, and, and I, I read about this, something that happened in Seattle. And there, there was this guy that owned, owned a Seattle coffee shop. And he got into an argument with some Christians that were in this coffee shop. And this man uttered something against Christ that I thought, it is the mercy of God that lightning doesn't go right straight through that ceiling and evaporate him, what he said. It was, the, it was the most grotesque blasphemy I've ever heard leveled against Jesus Christ in my life. It came out of his mouth like poison. It was like venom. It was like hell's vomit. I could not believe it. And I said, and, 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 and it's like the Holy Ghost said to me, I'm not always going to put up with that. Man, I will not always strive with man. My spirit won't always strive with man. There's going to come a day when the final soul is saved, the final gospel message is preached, and God is going to say, that's it. 
I'm calling you up and I'm going to close the door on the ark. Now I want you to catch this. Right in the middle of these dire predictions that Peter is making, he says something incredibly promising. He says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, that is to return. As some people think, no, he is being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anybody to be destroyed. He doesn't want anybody to perish, but he wants everybody to repent and be saved. So the Lord is withholding his judgment. He is withholding the end so that yet another person can be saved and another one can be saved and yet another one can be saved. He's reminding us that yes, all these things are coming, but today is the day of salvation. Right now, this moment, the grace and mercy of God are being extended to every man, woman, and child to be saved by His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And i got to say something else. Man, I'm just feeling my Cheerios here in the third service. Let me say something else. All this talk about inclusionism, that it doesn't really matter what God you go to heaven by, what religion you go to heaven by, what you believe in. God sees your good intentions, and God knows your heart, and God will let you in anyway, and and everybody's going to go to heaven, and and God's not going to send anybody to hell, and all these things, and it doesn't really matter, and you just pick your Savior, pick your way. That's a pure lie from hell. Because Jesus made it so clear No man comes to the Father but through me. There's only one name given among men whereby we must be saved, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And he that believes in me has the life. And he that believes not in me has not the life, but the wrath of God abides on him. It could not be more clear that Jesus came to rescue us from sin and from the devil and from ourselves. So Peter is saying in the middle of these predictions, he's saying, there's hope right now. You can come right now. You can be saved right now. The end is not here yet. And and just reading these things ought to spur us on. If we've got a question mark anywhere in our minds about our walk with God or our salvation, we ought to settle it because this world is headed on a collision course with judgment. Now we come to the good news. Everybody say, praise God. Following the horrible, nightmarish, great tribulation and this terrible earthquake and everything else, Jesus is going to return. Listen to what it says. Then Jesus said this, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and they will see the Son of Man coming, they being the whole world, the whole world, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory. After his return, Jesus is going to judge the world. It's called the great white throne judgment. Jesus said, The Father has given to the Son all judgment. So it's going to be Jesus on that great white throne judgment. And the Bible says the small and the great, the somebodies and the nobodies, the knowns and the unknowns, the rich and the poor, the black, white, yellow, red, yellow, brown, and any other color of skin are going to go before God. And one crucial book is going to be open. It's called the Book of Life. Is their name? Let me. And they're looking, and he's looking for your name. Is their name there? Joe, Bob, Bill, Sue, Carol, 
And the only way to get your name inked into that book is the ink of the blood of Jesus. What you ever did on earth, so-called good works, no tickets, good dad, good mom, good citizen, won't matter, is, is the blood, did the blood ink your name there? Because as soon as you come to Jesus, an invisible hand in heaven opens that book and inks your name in the book of life. And when that's done, and here's what I want to close with, when that's done, and the devil has been cast into hell, and the Antichrist and the false prophet, and every person who ever rejected Christ have been cast from the presence of the Father, the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, will appear. Then I saw a new heaven. Everybody say new. And a new earth. Say new again. So you got a new heaven and a new earth, renovated, brand new. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And look what he says about the city. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. That city is going to be lowered down onto a renovated earth. Remember how big it is. Two million square miles. And that's where you're going to live. Forever. Like a bride. You know something? I've, I've overseen so many marriages. I preside over lots of weddings. But even as the minister, there's, it, it continues to move me to this day. When here's the groom, he's always right here, shaking in his boots. The groomsmen, the maid of honor, the bridesmaids, they're all here. But when that bride appears and she starts walking down the aisle, it still moves me deeply because there's something so spiritual and meaningful about it. Because you see, we're the bride of Christ. And one day, we're going to meet our groom. But now... Taken further, it says this city is so prepared for us that it's prepared like a bride for the groom. I've seen grown men just break down and cry when that bride walks down the aisle. I did a wedding last week. Big, tough country guy. Broke down when she started coming down the aisle. I hit him and said, man up. You're about to get married. He was crying, lip trembling, because there's something about that bride. See, the city has been prepared for you. And when we see it, what are we going to do? Look what God has done. Look what God has done. I want you to stand with me, and we're going to read together a verse in closing. Read it out loud with me. This is how it's all going to end. Revelations 21.3. Ready? I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, the home of God is now among men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people. Yes, 
God himself will be among them and be their God. Yes. Yes, Lord. Can we lift our hands to the Savior of the world who's gone to prepare a place for us? Oh, Jesus. We're going to weep when we see that city like a bride prepared for the church. Lord, we praise you with our hearts. Go ahead and thank the Lord. Take a minute. Thank him any way you want to. Just begin to have a thank moment. Thank the Lord right now. Bless the Lord for his goodness. Bless the Lord for his goodness. Come on, everybody. Let me hear you. Let him hear you. Say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Come on, let's have a praise session here. Thank you, Lord. Begin to worship. And look what he's done for you. Look what he's prepared for you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his glorious face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. What an incredible place the heavenly city will be. There we will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We'll see Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. We'll see lost. We'll see loved ones who have gone before us. We'll see Jesus. We'll see our heavenly Father in that glorious city. This world is passing away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And what he builds does not erode or corrode. Thank you, Jesus.